Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Luke chapter 5. I've been waiting to preach this for a few weeks. Today's the day. God's going to talk to you. The reason I haven't preached this before is because maybe you weren't here that week or something like that. Or maybe you weren't ready. Now you're here or now you're ready. The word of God is coming to you thick and fast. You ready for it? Yeah. God is a God who speaks. Our God is going to Thousands of years ago, he used a donkey to talk. He still uses donkeys today. But what's important is what is said. And I believe God is going to speak now to different people in this room, different ways. I want you to be ready. Luke chapter 5 is one of the chapters that we come back to again and again in this church. There are certain parts of the Bible that somehow we can't get away from in King's Church. It's not because there are favorite passages at all, not at all, but somehow the story of Jesus meeting with Peter and the miraculous catch is a story that we come back to. There's other stories like the the lowering of the lame man through the ceiling. That's another story that we seem to God keeps bringing us back to in different ways. So here is something for the house from the Father. One day, Luke 5, 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Mm. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. I want you to remember that. He fell at his knees. I'll come back to it. And he said this, Depart from me, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he 
And all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I'll make you a fisher of men. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray the power of God down into this place. I pray the power of God released into the house today, packed full of the word of God, the the power to change our lives forever. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Time is against me. I'm going to just get going today. The first thing I want to say is this. This story contains what some people would call, now here's a word that I might have to look up later. I'm not even sure I know what it means. But the word is microcosm. And I think the word microcosm means that it's like a whole thing contained in a small thing. This story is a a microcosm, and I hope I've got this right, a microcosm of Peter's whole life. Because there are things that happen in this, just those 11 verses that we read, that kind of feed into the whole of his life. They feed into the whole of his life. And I'll explain as we go what I mean by this. If you wanted to look at the kind of the journey that Peter makes, you can sort of see nearly all of it just in this story. It's like a prologue of what is to come where the main themes, you know, like an orchestra might play uh, uh, if they were going to do a big show, like, uh, like a musical theater show, and they might play all the songs, just a little piece of them in an intro uh, before the show began to give you a taste of what's to come. It's a bit like that. And we learn so much about Peter, but we also, of course, learn so much about our lives from the story. And here, I think there's about three or four just little ideas that come from the story that are going to impact you and bless you and maybe help you in a very specific way. What are the things that we learn from the story of the fisherman? Number one, ever so simple, it's not smart to differ with Jesus. It's not smart to disagree with Jesus. In the story, in verse 5, Jesus says to him, this is what I want you to do, put down your nets and you're going to have a tremendous catch. And what does Peter say? Well, actually, uh, I know you're a pretty good speaker, but you're not really very good as a fisherman, are you? Because in fact, we've been working all night and, you know, I want to respect you, Jesus. I, you know, I know you're a rabbi, and I know you've, you seem to have pulled the crowd in today. And I know you've got great wisdom from heaven, but let me just assure you of this. A fisherman, you ain't. A businessman, you're not. So he says to him, Lord, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be disrespectful to you, but we've been working here all night, and we've caught nothing. And of course, thankfully, you know that the next line is, but... Because you say so, 
I'll do it. We find this all the way through Peter's life. He's always, always disagreeing with Jesus. Thankfully, only temporarily. But he's always disagreeing with Jesus. On one occasion, Jesus said to him, I want to wash your feet. He said, no, you won't. No, 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 no. You know, I respect you in that, but that's not how it's done. You don't wash my feet, I wash yours. That's what some of the widows said to the WOW team last week as well. That's not how it works here. So he wanted to differ with Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, Peter took him aside for a little bit of one-on-one counseling. And said, Jesus, you know, I respect you and that, but you don't understand about Rome and you don't understand how dangerous it is. And, and by the way, you're supposed to be the, the, the Messiah. You're not supposed to be crucified. And he wanted to give Jesus a bit of advice. That is not sharp. It's not a sharp thing to do. To hear what Jesus says and then say, well, that might work in some contexts, but it's not going to work for me and it's not going to work for me here. And you might think that you would never say that to God, but actually, isn't it true that we sort of say that to God quite often? Through the way that we live? Well, I know that the Bible says that I should do this and this and this, but Lord, let me just give you a bit of advice. That ain't going to work down Mill Road, you know what I mean? I know the Bible says that I should tell the truth all the time, but that's not going to work where, that doesn't work where I work. I, sometimes I have to exaggerate a bit. And Lord, I know, I know that the Bible says that I, as a single person, shouldn't be hopping into bed with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, but Lord, let me just give you a bit of advice. It's 2012, you know what I mean? Is it 2011? I'm ahead of myself. That's for those of you listening to this message next year. (laughs) I know, Lord, that this is what you say, but let me just tell you what I say. Let me tell you this. Don't disagree with God. Don't decide that actually, well, you know, he was right about some things, but he wasn't right about everything. No, let me tell you this. He's right about everything. And that's something that Jane doesn't even say about me. But Jesus is right about everything. So don't you be differing with him. Don't you be saying, well, Lord, I'd like to do it your way, but your way isn't going to work. I'm going to do it my way. Cue for a song. No, don't do it your way. Do it his way. Can you say amen? And you might, you're allowed a moment, you are allowed a moment, it seems, where you can say, Lord, that's just not going to work. Like those guys, you know, where he said to them, we're out of wine, fill those water pots. And you can just send some, can't you, thinking, what are we doing? This is not going to come out good. Nevertheless, because he told them, and Mary said to them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Say this after me. Whatever he tells me, that's what I'm going to do. He's smarter than you. And you know what? Some of you, some of you are getting on a bit, but let me, he's older than you. 
He's older than you. He's more qualified than you. Do what he tells you to do. It's not smart to differ with Jesus. Lots of us do it. Don't do it. Number two, be wary of your other God. Huh, here's a good one. Be wary of your other God. You say, what, what other God is there in this story? I don't see another God. There is another God, and it's very, very fishy smelling in this story. There's an occasion right at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's cooking uh, you know, um, breakfast for them, fish as it happens, I think, and they come running in. They've had another miraculous catch, 150-odd fish or something like that, 153, is it? And they come running in to meet him. Now, just watch this. And as they're sitting eating, Jesus wants to have a little chat with Peter. Do you remember this? And he sits him down and he says this to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? I remember when I first read that, I thought, more than what? More than what? Do you love me more than these? More than these what? More than these men? You know, do you love me more than you love them? Or do you love me more than they love me? That kind of thing. And then when I got to Bible school, I did a bit of this in the Greek text, and it's, it's a neuter word, which means Jesus is saying to him, do you love me more than these things? Not these men. Do you love me more than these things? Tauta is the Greek word. Do you love me more than these things? Well, what things? Well, the only things that were there. The nets, the boats, they've been fishing. They dragged them on to the, uh, you know, up the beach. And Jesus asks him a piercing question about who his God really was. He says to him, do you love me more than you love your business? More than you love the success of your business here today? Well, Lord, you know that I love you, he says. You know that I love you. It's been interesting just lately to be reading through the book of Ezekiel. And I noticed a verse just this week in my readings regarding idols. And God rebukes and challenges the people of Judah about their idols. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if you're anything like me, but whenever I'm reading the Bible and it says idols, I think, well, I don't have any idols. I haven't got, I haven't got any wood images that I bow down to daily. You know, I read about don't have idols. I think, well, I haven't got any idols. Uh, I'm not, uh, I haven't, I'm not bowing down to a piece of stone or, or steel or metal. I haven't even got any Christian idols. There isn't a giant picture of Catherine Kuhlman on my fridge. I thought, I don't have any idols. And then in the book of Ezekiel, it says this, God warns them about the idols in their hearts. And for God, the idols were not wood and metal, although they were uh, an abomination to him, because they were the outward show of it. The idols were inside the people's hearts. 
And Jesus sits with his friend. And he says, Peter, there's something I must know. I need to know this. Do you love me more than you love all of this? Now in the story in Luke 5, Peter is, he's a businessman. Peter was actually a fairly successful businessman. He had his own boat. And we read in uh, other parts of the Gospels, he had his own house. That was not necessarily the case for everybody. So Peter was, you know, doing all right for himself. He was. And Jesus has to say to him, are you sure you love me more than you love this? Of course he needed that. Of course he needed to be a fisherman. Money does not fall from the uh, sky. So he needed a business. He needed to work. The Bible tells us he needed to work. And the Bible encourages us all to work. I was reading earlier this morning about the sluggard. And it's not complimentary. But I want you to think about Peter. Just, Just stay with me. Watch this. Peter had dreamed all his life of being more and more successful in the world of fish. He poured his life and his energies into that boat, into those nets. All he wanted was to be successful with fish. And after the resurrection, John chapter 21, they they don't know what to do and Peter says, I'm going fishing. He wanted to go back to his first love. So there was a big pull upon Peter and fish. And then something happens. Listen, everything he'd ever wanted was there. The day he dreamed of arrived. The day he fantasized about arrived. Their boats were so full of fish that they began to sink. And he falls to his knees. You know, I'm, I made sure that you referenced that. If the boat is full of fish, so much that it's going to sink, if you're in a boat that's so full of fish that it's going to sink, what's going to happen when you fall to your knees? You're going to be looking a fish right in the eyes. You're going to be in the fish. He was in the fish. Everything he'd wanted. He was more in the fish than his mate Jonah had ever been. But in that moment, it meant nothing. Have you considered... And have I considered that if we really got everything we wanted, that thing that gets us out of bed in the morning, you know what your idol is. And for many, it's not business, by the way. But you know what your idol is. Because your idol is where your money is. Your idol is where your time is. Your idol could even be where your prayers are. The thing you want, probably more than you want Jesus himself. Some have Christian type idols. I want to be a preacher. or I want to have special gifts. 
But it's no good pursuing special gifts unless you pursue the one who is the giver of those gifts. And Peter has to sit down with the Lord and the Lord has to say to him, this is my question to you and it's God's question to us today, right here in the house. That thing you want most of all, for some it is to be married, for some it is to be successful in in business, for some it is a new house, for some it may be a car, whatever it might be. And Jesus sits him down, and it's not that he wasn't to have it, but he wants to know this, do you love me more than these? More than these. And all throughout Peter's life, he, was, he had to be wary of the other God that wanted his attention, wanted his money, wanted his time, wanted his affection, wanted his energies. And on the day he got it, listen, on the day he got it, he didn't want it. On the day he got it, he didn't want it. I've been a minister long enough to have prayed very young people through in their agonies of soul. Oh, I just want to have a girlfriend to be married. And I've prayed them through and I've, you know, blessed them and helped them. And then 10 years later, I've been doing this a long time. 10 years later, I'm sitting with him in the office and he said to me, I just can't stand her. Why did I marry her? The very thing that he wanted, he found out he didn't want it. It's like shopping, isn't it? There you are in the shop. Oh, look at that top. Ooh. Look at that top. Isn't it nice? And your debit card is burning in your pocket. Ooh, dear. I'm feeling all hot here. Now, guys, don't you get out, don't you think you're off the hook? You're looking at your iPads and your apples, whatever. It's wrong to have an iPad too, unless you're the pastor of the church. That's what I say. <laughs> so now you're looking at that top, and oh, you you really want it? Oh, you really want it? I really want it. It looks good. It looks good. So you go and get it. And then two days later, oh, it looks awful on me. Oh, it's terrible. It looked great in the shop, but it don't look so good in the mirror, honey. It don't look so good. Desperate for that new, you know, MacBook or whatever it is. And then three days later, the internet's down. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Kicking the computer around the house. Why do I bother? Has it occurred to you that if you really got what you really wanted, you wouldn't want it? On one occasion, it's Mark 10, verse 28. Peter says to the Lord, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Now, it sounds really good, but there might have been a bit of conflict there, you know. He's thinking about his fish. He's thinking about his nets. No, be careful. There's another God that wants you, and you know exactly what that God is called. And it has a different name for every one of us. But be wary of your other God. Number three. Another thing that Peter learned in his life was the struggle with sin goes on. He learned that the struggle with sin goes on. As he met Christ, what's his first response as he sees his power, Lord, get away from me. 
because I'm a sinful man. You know, when I first became a Christian and I repented of my sin, I never thought in all my life that 20 years later I'd still be repenting of my sin. I thought, well, it's a kind of a one-off deal. I'll repent. I'm ever so sorry. And now I'll be a different person. And I found I'm not a different person. I found that the fight goes on. Can you say amen? I remember one very, very elderly Pentecostal leader. He must have been in his 80s. And he sat with a young man. And the young man said to him, Oh, brother, brother Duplessis, can you tell me this? I'm struggling. I fancy girls everywhere I go. He said, can you tell me when that will stop? And the 84-year-old whatever man looked at him and said, when it happens for me, I'll let you know. (laughs) The struggle goes on. Right at the beginning of Peter's encounter with Jesus, he was conscious of the fact he wasn't good enough. He was conscious of the fact that he was a sinner in the presence of Jesus. And years later... Decades on, as he writes his epistles, he's still having some of these same struggles. First Peter 2 verse 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Did you know that you are in a war? Did you know that, that you are in a war? A war for your soul, a war every day to live right. If you don't know you're in a war, then you're probably losing it. It means you're occupied. But we have a war. And I want to say this to you, especially those of you who sometimes find... Christian holy living so very hard. It is hard. It's a war. There's nothing peaceful about a war. There's nothing easy about a war. During wartime, you can sing songs and you can gain morale from others, but it's still a war. And we are at war. And your enemy, your biggest enemy, is not a red-looking creature with horns and a tail. Your biggest enemy is you. And my biggest enemy is me. Peter uh, says here that he is at war for his own soul against his own sinful desires. He doesn't mention the devil. He's not talking about demonic attacks. His main problem is is himself. And at the beginning of his time with Jesus, he said, I'm a sinful man. And as he's an old man here writing these letters... He's saying the same thing. The war goes on. In 2 Peter 1 verse 5, let me just read this to you. He says this, for this very reason, make every effort, every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and 
unproductive. He says this to them, I want you, he says, listen, listen, I want you to add to your faith. I want you to add holiness to your faith. Lots of people, they just have faith. I believe in God. I believe that children are our future. Oh no, that's a, that's a Michael Jackson song. I believe in angels. Something good in everything I see. People, people believe all sorts of things. People believe all sorts of things. But how do you know if you're a Christian? I tell you, you know if you're a Christian if you add to your faith a godly lifestyle. Christianity is an issue of addition. Adding to one's faith character development. And what we learn from Peter is that it's, it's something that goes on all our lives. You're not there yet, are you? Anybody there yet? No. No one's there yet. But persevere. Add to your faith a godly life. That's what we learn from the apostle here. And finally, finally, teamwork makes the dream work. You know, Peter, a successful businessman, an owner of his own boat. Can you just imagine him, you know, going down to the, I don't know where it would have been, the local social circle and saying, hi everyone, I've got my own boat. I've got my own house, you know. He was successful. The other thing about Peter, did you know that he was much older than the others? Did you know that? He was much older than all the others. And we know that because when it came to paying the temple tax, only Jesus and Peter needed to pay it. The others were too young. So Jesus and Peter were about the same age, older than the others. Very interesting. So here was a guy older than the others, more successful than the others maybe, but what does the Lord show him at the beginning of his ministry that's going to take him all the way through to the end of his life? This truth. He's going to have to work with others. Even though he felt he may have had it all, the best boat, the best house, older, wiser, you know, still, when God is at work, you have to have your partners to help you. And so he calls upon them, come and Come and help us. I don't know how many of you are fans of The Apprentice. It's not on in my house, let me tell you that, apart from on a weekly basis. But can you just imagine the haggling going on? We're full of fish. Does anybody want to come and have some? Let me do a deal now. We'll do a deal. You can have some of our fish. But Peter, you're sinking in the water. Yeah, I know, but I'm holding out for a good deal. No, he had to learn right at the beginning of his time with Jesus that he was going to have to work as a team. Even though he was older, maybe wiser, but he was going to have to work with others. You can't do Christianity by yourself. You are not supposed to do Christianity by yourself. If you are a Christian that doesn't have a church, 
you are wrong. It's not going to work. You need other people. You say, but brother Peter, I don't really like other people. I know what you mean. But you need other people. Well, I'm okay by myself. No, you're not. No, you're not. When Jesus speaks in the New Testament, he does not speak to individuals, he speaks to churches. He speaks to churches. We're supposed to be together. Fellowship means a whole load of fellows in the same ship. Probably. But don't look that up. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up. And do you know what the next line is? As he's about to preach, it says, Peter standing up with the eleven. The greatest day of his life, if you like. Or one of the great highlights, the Pentecost sermon. The Spirit of God was on him, but he had to stand up with the eleven. He was in a team. Later on in one of his letters, Second Peter 3 verse 15, he talks about Paul's letters. He acknowledges another one of his teammates in the pilgrimage. In the walk of faith. In following Jesus. And he learns it right at the beginning. And then as he writes his final lines. In Second Peter. He's talking about Paul being on the team. I want to encourage you. Be on the team. Join the ship. Not as a patient, but as a nurse. Join the restaurant, not as a diner, but as a chef or a waiter. Because teamwork will make the dream work. So what does Peter's story teach us? Don't argue with Jesus. He always knows what's right. Always. Be careful of that other God. Be careful of that life dream you've got because maybe if you had it, you'd find out you didn't, you didn't really want it. Number three, be aware that our life here on earth is a bit of a war. We're not supposed to be passive, but we're supposed to be actively abstaining from things that hurt the heart of God. And number four, remember, we're supposed to be together as a team. And may this microcosm, I really hope that's the right word. May this microcosm of Peter's life be helpful to us in our days and in our months as we also seek to serve the Lord. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, 
we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.